Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Happy Monday. You can have a happy Monday. Mondays can be happy. I mean, it's not snowing. That's better. The Avalanche got a win over the weekend. We'll talk about them later in the program with uh, Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette. The Denver Nuggets, not so much. We'll talk about them later in the program, by the way, with Coach George Carl. But, uh, Sandy, the, the, the game last night was an interesting one because the way that, again, the third period bit the Nuggets and they were outscored by 10 points in that third period. But then they came back, locked down on defense. They were really good, actually, holding Minnesota to 16 fourth quarter points. They did have a, I would say, uh, hard to duplicate 12-0 run in the final, essentially, two minutes of the game to get it to OT. And then uh, they kind of ran out of gas, and Anthony Edwards did not. Uh, also, uh, give, give credit to um, Alexander Walker, who hit two very clutch threes. But the Nuggets end up losing uh, the game in overtime, 3-1. to one. Had they not fought back, because it would have been easy for the Nuggets in a 3-0 lead to just sort of let that fourth quarter go and say, all right, we'll just meet them back in, in Denver in a couple of nights. The fact that they actually went out there and really fought to try to get that game and finish the series off in the fourth quarter, I do think makes me feel more comfortable about the character of the team and how intent they are on winning. Because if there was ever a fourth quarter that, you know, you okay, games didn't go our way. We're still up 3-1 on the road. We're going back. Pack it in. Uh, but they didn't. And they didn't end up getting the win, in part because uh, they just were not great at the free throw line. Again, that actually, you could make the argument, it directly cost them the game. But I think the way they finished makes me less concerned about this team's chances to advance. Not over, over the Timberwolves. They most certainly will, and they probably will in the very next game. But against whoever they end up playing in the second round, which would be likely the Phoenix Suns, what I saw from the Nuggets was a team that understood you don't take wins for granted, and they went out and tried to take one. I thought they did, though. I thought they, for 50 out of the 53 minutes, they did take it for granted. I thought they went through the motions. I didn't think they played very hard. I thought the game was very, very badly coached on Malone's part. And not really especially well coached uh, on Finch's part either. I mean, how on earth do you have Carl Anthony Towns with five fouls guarding Nikola Jokic one-on-one? Uh, I mean, that's just moronic. And I just thought that I that TNT guys had it right. Uh, they started watching hockey. That happened. Yeah, Charles Barkley you know, said Charles he turned Barkley on the NHL said hockey. He watched Edmonton on the Kings, as did I. I. I thought it was boring. I thought it was uninspired. I thought it was all about Minnesota quitting or 
being on the verge of quitting. I, I think Edwards is the one guy who would not let them quit. Uh, Connolly impressed me more in game three than he has in any of the games leading up to game three in this series. Yeah. That would be two of them. Um, he showed uh, some class, I thought, uh, hit big shots. He and Edwards were the guys hitting big shots. Um, I didn't think Towns and Gilbert were were particularly good, but they weren't bad. Uh, I I just thought the Nuggets were were uninspired, and uh, I thought uh, Malone lost his gamble. He played uh, the starters a bunch of minutes last night, and the starters gave him nothing until about. Uh, two and a half minutes to go in I mean, a game. Yeah. And uh, uh, to be honest, uh, they hit three straight three-pointers. And Minnesota helped them along with uh, sloppy play, all of turnovers. that by uh, stopping their offense, uh, which uh, proceeded over the last two and a half minutes to basically consist of going one-on-one and then heaving up shots that had no chance of, of going in. And so I, I, I wasn't that disturbed by the loss uh, to the extent that I, I think it, it, games, do, I, I've learned that games don't carry over in, in the playoffs. And I'm sure behind a raucous crowd at ball arena tomorrow night, uh, they'll win the game by somewhere between 20 and 30 points. Uh, wow. Okay. Know, th- th- there's th- no reason whatsoever to think, uh, particularly after listening to Anthony Edwards after the game, that, uh, the Timberwolves are going to put up much of a fight. Uh, Edwards' whole deal was I didn't want to get swept. I've never been uh, embarrassed in a, a big game or big series before, and I didn't want to start here. Um, uh, I made it personal, he said, uh, that I wanted to win this game. Well, they know they can't win the series. So expecting them to offer even the slightest resistance tomorrow night, uh, I, I think is... Uh, to put it kindly, unrealistic. It, it wouldn't be in character for them to come in here as a team and play hard. Now, I, I did think the Alexander Walker kid did a, a pretty good defensive great. job on Murray. really good on defense. Now, I thought he was great. That's, and that's I think I was that was go one good decision made on a coaching level last night as far as matchups were concerned. I basically didn't understand what either coach was doing with matchups, except that Finch did put Alexander Walker on Murray. And that seemed to have an effect. But that's at home. And players like Alexander Walker never play two games in a row like that, especially when the first one's at home and the second's on the road. Entirely possible. And, I mean, big minutes, as you pointed out. And it was an overtime game, but only Nikola Jokic gets out with uh, fewer than 40. And that was only by one. 39 minutes. Caldwell Pope with 40. Murray and Porter Jr. with 41. Gordon with 43. Took uh, Porter Jr. a little while to get going, but he did he did get going late. It wasn't. It wasn't a bad performance. I get your your point. I thought they looked pretty good in in the in the first half for the most part. But again, that third period, the third period for the Nuggets is so Jekyll and Hyde, and it has been all year, and it has been in these playoffs. What are the, what's this team going to come out like at halftime? I don't know if anyone ever knows. You you find out about five minutes into the quarter whether they are going to play well in the third or whether they're not going to play well, and it seems like it's it's never one or the other. It's it's either great or it's disastrous. Total connection or total disengagement. And you're right. There, there's no middle ground. And they come out of halftime no regularly area. like this. And 
last night, I, I just didn't think, frankly, it was all that important to them, although they said it was, uh, as to whether they swept the series or, or not. And I had to chuckle at the beginning of the game uh, when uh, Spiro Didis characterized Michael Malone as a master motivator. Uh, many things you could say about Michael Malone. Master motivator has never struck me as uh, one of them. I know he gets angry when they don't play well or play hard. Uh, but uh, I, I thought uh, it was said very early in the game, and I said, well, the proof will be in the pudding tonight because I didn't think from the opening top they played hard. Uh, I, I thought they were very, very casual. Uh, Minnesota does a good job of uh, stubbing its own toe time after time. After yeah, time. It almost cost Minnesota plays no defense, and yet the Nuggets only scored 52 points in the first half. And my feeling at the half was that they might very well find a way to lose the game because their habit is they lose interest. And that happened. They built their lead, I think, up to nine. Early it was, in the it third was nine, quarter yes. The Nuggets had it at 64 55, something mm-hmm. like that. And then they just stopped. And I don't know that at there that was point, any I agree. They looked completely disinterested at that, that point in the game. They looked exactly disinterested right. from that point until about two and a half minutes to go in the game when uh, one three went in and then they tried another and that one went in and then Porter hit a second one and that went in uh, uh, to make it three in a row. And they used those nine points. The the three ball can get you back into a game. So can the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have blown (laughs) more double-digit leads than any team in basketball this year, inside or outside of the playoffs. And they, they last night, should have lost. If no, uh, Jokic makes that free throw, he missed one, made one, uh, they lose. I, I'm, I'm, the Nuggets played their best defense of the night. When they finally did what I imagine many viewers were begging them to do, and they knew Anthony Edwards was going to have the ball, and you know what they did? They actually double-teamed him. Right. And he didn't even get off a shot. Now, between Minnesota not double-teaming Jokic and Denver never giving a thought to double-teaming Edwards, to me, uh, neither team did this. Say neither team deserved to lose. Oftentimes, when you see a great mm-hmm. game like Sacramento Golden State yesterday, yeah, all right, uh, which with the news today about uh, Fox yeah, breaking his Fox. finger uh, tilts the series definitively. I think now in Golden State's favor. But in any case, that was a game where it was a shame either team lost. It was another great game in that wonderful series, 126-125. Neither team deserved to lose. And I would say last night, with the Nuggets and Timberwolves, neither team deserved to win that game. But as it happens in sports, both teams can't win and both teams can't lose. At least not in most American sports. <laughs> Obviously, when you get into a, uh, in, in hockey, though, you can yeah, sort you can of sort win of. in the regular season, right? even if you lose by forcing an overtime and getting a guaranteed point. But in, in this case, some of the things you brought up there I think are interesting. And we want to know what you think, too, by the way. The common text line is 303-831-1340. And... The, the, the defense was interesting. The gamble that the, the Timberwolves took, and for a time it worked, was to absolutely blanket Jamal Murray, including at times double-teaming him and leaving yeah, they crowded him. Jokic in yep. a spot where uh, he was available to, to go off. Sure. And, and if, if you're Minnesota, 
I would say coming into game five, if you really have, uh, as you like to use the term, the, any gumption, look, Nikola Jokic scored 43 points. He hit five three-pointers. He had wow, 11 his boards. his three-point shot came back. Now, to me, if you're looking for a silver lining last night. free throw shooting, but well, yes. Well, yeah, but I, I don't know what's going on with his free throw shooting. I, I think his wrist is bothering him, but wouldn't you think if his wrist is bothering him, he wouldn't be taking threes. What think? And he certainly wouldn't be making a lot of threes. And he did last night. And that was the most encouraging thing. If the three ball is back in play for Nikola Jokic, which it really hasn't been during the second half of this year, then he becomes a guy who can go off for 40 in a playoff game. Because without the three ball, he gets nowhere near 40 points last night. I'm sure from the Minnesota perspective, they could argue that we held him to six assists and he was a minus 14 in 39 minutes. And so the argument would be... How dare you criticize our decision to uh, uh, avoid double-teaming him and instead crowd Murray. And uh, I I just thought Porter was flat. He, he's flat he, he wasn't, Bill Hanslick ripped he him after He didn't the game look good until it, it, it all good clicked in Bill. in the fourth. The, um, here's why I would, I guess I would disagree. And if I were Minnesota, I'd do it again. Because Jokic goes out and scores 43, does more or less what he wants. And, and if you're Minnesota, you still won. Now, it wasn't easy. But... You know that Jokic is going to get to a certain level no matter what you do. Maybe the best way to tackle the Nuggets is to make sure that the other guys don't go off, and Murray is your most yeah. dangerous second option, and yeah. they limited him. He shot 8 for 21. I, I understand, but they still scored 77 points, the trio. Mm-hmm. And they were distributed differently, but my thinking is if Murray, Porter, Jokic score 75 to 80 points, the Nuggets should never lose a game. And, and Never Gordon had 14 now, on top of now, that. Uh, it, you know, Murray Murray had a bad shooting night. Uh, Porter didn't have a bad shooting night. He just didn't shoot very much. And I thought that was more out of indifference that, that, than anything else. He, he just didn't. I, he made that one nice move. Remember early in the mm-hmm. game when he went to the basket? Might have been the Nuggets' first basket because they got off to a slow start. And they were down 7-2. to two, And I think he had the two on a little drive to the basket. I'm saying, all right, there he is. Once again, showing that he can take his defender off the dribble, and uh, he's 6'10", and he gets up quickly. He's pretty explosive. And yet we didn't see that guy uh, through much of the game. And it wasn't, in this case, for a lack of playing time. No. Yeah, he got 41 yeah, minutes. Yeah, 41 minutes. He got all and the time he Uncle needed. Jeff only played 18 minutes last night. His, so his has gone down, you know, by the way. You've noticed as Christian Brown's down. creeps up. To roughly getting closer I don't know. to, I don't know about creeping up, but it's he's, getting closer he's to thirteen minutes a game. But it's and, getting closer to Jeff Green's minutes. Mm, they're ten minutes apart in average playing time in a series. Yeah, maybe it's but, getting a little but five, but five. It was last two to night. one before. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I play Christian Brown more. I'd put him on Edwards. Uh, I'd start with Gordon on Edwards. Then when they substitute, and often it is Brown who's substituting right behind Bruce Brown. Then I'd put Brown on Edwards. Ed- Edwards is playing virtually uh, the entire uh, game now. What did he play uh, last 45 night? 45 last night. minutes out of the 53. So, uh, And I'm sure he would have been okay with 48 to 50 out of the 53. I mean, he he's he's young enough. He's in great shape. And uh, he's, he's a terrific player. Yeah, he's, he's the he's, one he's a guy for Minnesota, I think, in this series who's really distinguished himself. And the, and the fact of the matter is, points aren't everything. I get that. But when I see 
at age 21 or younger that LeBron James had eight 30-point games in the playoffs. Edwards, five now. Kobe, four. Jordan, less than four. Yeah. I mean, pretty this special. Guy, the reason it, he was picked number the one last overall. three games, he's averaged 37 points per game. Against the number one seeded team Now, in the West. it would seem to me that a coach who is uh, noted as a defensive guru would figure out a way to hold him under 37 points per game, but it strikes me that Malone's been his usual rigid self in that regard, and he's had Caldwell Pope guarding Edwards far too much. Now, I'm not saying he didn't have Gordon on him at all last night, because he did. He did, yeah. Uh, But it seems that Contavious Caldwell Pope is to uh, his little brother, uh, as he calls him, his primary defender, and that's a mismatch. And I didn't think Caldwell Pope played very well uh, last night. And he wasn't wasn't alone. I I didn't think uh, uh, it was... uh, Really a great game for any of the three guys coming off the bench. Even Bruce Brown, I think, has been largely terrific. And in this series, they just they just seem flat. You've got to get some game. scoring off the bench. Yeah, and they and they didn't get any. You and twelve I mean, points off the bench. One honestly, of them was DeAndre Jordan, and the other eleven were they, were Bruce Brown. They, Green and Christian Brown scored nothing. They they came in averaging one hundred seventeen in this series, mm-hmm. and they gave up one hundred fourteen last night. So my sense is, once again, like that one stretch in game two, the problem's more on offense than it is on defense. It and felt like it last they night. Stand around, and they, they're, the, when they don't play with pace, they tend to stand. And you know, it's it's three games into a series now, and they played four times during the regular season. Minnesota's probably figured out some of their patterns by now. <laughs> as bad as they are generally on defense, they probably figured a few things out. And I, I got the idea. I, I know he scored 43 points last night, but a lot of that came on the three ball, right? Mm-hmm. Five, three, So 15 of the 43 came on a three ball. He missed four free throws out of 12, so that part of the game wasn't great. I actually thought, other than putting towns on him and, he fouls Towns out of the game, that they did a decent job with Jokic uh, last night, and uh, he had four turnovers. So if you can get him to turn the ball over four more times, limited assist to six, they'll take six assists from him and four turnovers every time. And if it means he scores 43 and Murray doesn't get 20 and Porter doesn't get 20, in fact, Nobody else gets anywhere near 20 except Murray, who had 19. That They'll probably take that. And if they're coming in here tomorrow night thinking, if we hold them to 110 or less, we've got a shot, maybe they do. I suspect the Nuggets will be back in 120-point territory tomorrow night. They are still up three games to one. The game tomorrow uh, back here in Denver. Uh, for the first time, by the way, in the playoffs, the Nuggets will not have the latest start 
tomorrow. Oh, you're kidding? No, they will. They will tip at seven on NBA TV, and the Clippers. And oh Suns no, will well, tip that's at why. eight. Yes, it's an NBA. TV. They've moved it over to NBA TV, so they're uh, every, and, uh, everyone altitude seems to think it's will over. not uh, black it out which they have done in the past. Right. The, and the NBA and NHL worked to make sure that uh, both of those opening round series can be seen uh, locally uh, uh, there as well. So we will find out uh, what the but, Nuggets but come back NBA with. NBA TV, which tells you how attractive the series has been. Yes. Especially for Messrs. Uh, uh, Dee and uh, Grant Hill, who drew short straws and not <laughs> only had to do the borathon of a game last night, but are assigned to the game tomorrow night, which I think will be... Um, much more one-sided and uneventful as the game was last. Nuggets week. already favored by nine in that one. I don't know what you <laughs> think. Three zero three eight three one thirteen forty. A major, major stuff up in Boulder this weekend. The snow, the cold, kept nobody away from Folsom Field. We'll talk about CU's black and gold day in their spring game next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Last year, Sandy, prior to their 1-11 season, yeah, you had few people go to the uh, spring game. How about fewer than maybe yeah. 2,000 and, and was, probably fewer than, fewer than 2,000. Well, yesterday, despite the fact... Uh, Saturday. Uh, pardon me, Saturday, yes. Despite the fact it was uh, cold and snowing and uh, the, the scraping of the field and everything, had 47,000 plus yeah. at the spring game. And that was more than they've had at actual games for a while. Plenty of Many actual, actual games. games and uh, obviously it, an exciting moment. Uh, the Buffs were a little disappointed that Ralphie couldn't run. It was cold and slippery on the field. Right. Obviously, you take you don't take any messes with that. They wanted it for the for the ESPN broadcast. This was a, a television showcase. And let's be honest, in many ways, this is exactly what this was made for. Once uh, Deion Sanders became the head coach at the University of Colorado, and give uh, the athletic department some credit on yeah, making it, getting Rick it George. done, and getting it yeah. done with ESPN to get this broadcast because. A, a terrific spotlight. Sanders joked after the practice that uh, opponents will use the snow to recruit against them. But, you know, Dion knew what he was doing. Comes out in a white cowboy hat, uh, really more even hype man than coach, although it really was also very obvious. They call it a spring game. It was clearly a practice. Uh, there was, a, you know, I, I was up there for the, for the game, and you had a lot of it. The normal drives, you know, your first-team offense versus second-team defense, you flip it, but a lot of special teams practice at one point. You know, they're... They're just punting drills. It, it wasn't a game by any stretch. It was a practice with scrimmage-type elements. But it did the job. Uh, some of the talent was showcased. Shadur Sanders, first and foremost, Travis Hunter right behind him. But it showed the primary thing behind it is that the energy behind Colorado football is at a level that it hasn't been in probably 30 years. Uh, I would say close to 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even there, after there McCartney left, they had some big years. And uh, whether it was New Heisel or Barnett, uh, there was certainly interest when they put 60-plus on Nebraska. 
Yes. Uh, the, <laughs> there weren't many empty seats. Uh, in fact, there weren't any. I was up there mm-hmm. uh, for the uh, entire 60, proceeding. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, but certainly they seem to have generated interest that will carry through into the season, whether they win their opener against TCU or not. And I can't imagine that they'll be able to win a game like that on the road. They open on, I believe, September 9th in Boulder against Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And then they play CSU the following weekend. So they should be able to get two out of their first three. And I think the excitement is genuine. Uh, I think it is warranted. Like anything else, people can get carried away. But when I I was texting back and forth with a few people who are uh, perhaps a little more skeptical about all of this, and I I made the point that people are having fun, and -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's record is zero and zero. Can you imagine without Deion Sanders? The hiring of anybody, anybody else coming off a one there would have been more than uh, a thousand people there, considering the weather on Saturday. And no. the answer to that question is no. no. You can't imagine that. So, you know, he can only, in the absence of actually coaching his team in games that count, he can only do so much. And right now, it's about generating interest, creating a degree of hope that uh, I will agree with you hasn't existed in Boulder as far as national championship mm-hmm. aspirations in at least 30 years. Last, last month, this is last month, but uh, Darian Hagan. And I'm not course, saying national championship right. aspirations for this year. This year. But, saying but the program itself feels as if it can be back it. in that, that, right. yeah, that, that land. And Darian Hagan was the quarterback of that 1990 championship team. Last month he said, all you see is him in Colorado. Colorado on TV, Colorado on social media. All eyes on Colorado. That's what I remember this place being under the microscope, top of the mountain. Right. Everybody wanting to knock us off. In the last 10 years, it's been easy to knock us off. We've been <laughs> bad. Yeah. With the exception of one year that they, in which they won 10 games. He's exactly right about that. And he would know. He would know. He has coached here during lean times. And he played here during the highest of the high. And this is a... It, it, there really was a tremendous energy about it. There was a, almost a game time energy for fans were arriving, sitting in the sands, Sandy, in the cold, 90 minutes before beginning. Oh, absolutely. They were parked there. It was about half full, 90 minutes before. And more to uh, help clear out their seats. And, yes. Yeah, you, you and, had you had the uh, army of people right. cleaning uh, cleaning right. it up as you went out. And, and uh, you did see it. And there's there a lot of reasons for hope. Obviously, there are a lot of new players. But the the reasons for hope behind it, I think, that are the biggest is is Shadur Sanders who looks very legitimate. Uh, the ability is definitely there. He was the highlight. And Travis Hunter, who will yeah. play a little bit both ways also. So the hype is real with those two guys, and there's a lot of talent too. But keep in mind, it is uh, 15 more buffs entered the transfer portal today, including the top two receivers from last year, including, by the way, Montana Limonius Craig, who was one of the guys that start yeah. on Saturday, and Deion Smith. So your top rusher, your two top receivers, Transfer out today. Now, granted, I know it was a 1-11 team. But at the moment, it is entirely possible that the Buffs, as it stands today, how about this number, Sandy, may have 62 different scholarship athletes. And that would yeah. be 
That's what it stands if it stopped today. Well, 62 first-year buffs on scholarship. Talking about the other day, 75 new players. Yep. <laughs> it's, that, that's a lot at, at once. And so they, and what they're that means be, is they're limit your be expectations some bumpy for today, spots. for this year. This going to be some bumpy spots. This yeah, year. I think the objective for for the Buffs realistically win six, get in a bowl game, show progress, and then let that talent percolate and come back at it at twenty twenty four. But they have made themselves the talk of college football, and it has been a long time. And at least on Saturday, quite frankly, it looked justified. Pretty and pretty exciting. You know what I like too, and McCartney was this way when McCartney was at his best. He lets, and I'm talking about Sanders now, he lets his assistants coach. Yes. They, they are the instructors. I mean, he, he, he's the he's leader. He is the CEO, he, the leader oh, of the band. Oh, absolutely. However no, that no works. Doubt. But they're coaching, and they're intense. If you watch, mm-hmm. especially oh, yeah. the offensive coordinator, the former Kent State, Kent State coach, coach, right, who left a head coaching position to become a coordinator here yeah. for a team that went one and eleven last year. Sean Lewis, so, by the way, Sean Lewis yeah. is a believer in, in what Coach Dan Sanders Prime can do, yeah. and uh, definitely, uh, and and I think you have the same thing uh, on defense, where that the standards will be high; they won't always be met, especially right away, especially the first year. But th- there's a new sheriff in town, and he. I will say this. He knows what he's doing. I don't know. We'll see how the X's knows exactly. But what he's doing right now, the idea of getting the attention and gaining it, and bring, he knows ex- I, he has he is a maestro. He is conducting this to perfection. Really is 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 quite remarkable to see that. Even even down to the little bit, and you know whether I I totally buy in whether that's the case or not. But he brings out uh, Peggy Copham, who's ninety eight yeah. years old, uh, right. famously nice uh, lost lost her sister last year, her twin yeah. sister, um, and she comes out. Gets the opening kickoff, wanders right. up there, and then of course Dion has jokes. The first thing he does after the after the game is press conferences mentions that Peggy was the MVP of the game and uh, very physical when she well, grabbed his arm. And he know he knows how you to want to know how to get you want to know how to get your attention, get the donors' attention. She, she might have kicked the ball better than some of the uh, guys. She might I have kicked some of them, including the one of them, a uh, Jace Feely, son of longtime kicker Jay Feely, yeah. and they were. Yeah, the kicking they, they, game they was were very abysmal. When they that needs work. When they weren't missing extra yeah. points, they were getting them blocked. Yeah. Uh, that part needs that, that some needs help for sure. But uh, uh, this, there was enough, I think, to be excited about. Uh, the the transfer and the, the overhaul of the roster makes things very, very interesting. And uh, I agree with you. It limits what will happen this season. But the the branding is is great. And and. You know, Dion out there coaching uh, with a cowboy hat and everything else really gives you the the right vibe for CU, even in the snow, to send the message across the country that Colorado is going to be, and I think you had it on the head, Sandy. Maybe that's the simplest way to put it. Colorado is going to be a fun place to play football. Don't you want to play here with There's me? There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. <laughs> it's great, right? I mean, but but I, that's, I guess, the feel. I think you hit it on the head. There, there's promise in the talent. The talent is, you know, they're not all going to hit on year one, but there's a lot of promise in the talent. I think Shadur and Hunter especially absolutely for real look like it on day one. Uh, I think that the coaching staff that they brought over, the assistant coaches are highly credentialed for their roles. I think it's terrific coaching. And uh, and that was one of the reasons, by the way, that Colorado got Sanders. It was well known that if you're going to talk to Sanders, he wanted a a 
much larger than average financial pool available to hire assistants. Now, that's because Sanders is the CEO coach, as you said, and on game day, most of those guys are going to be doing the coaching. It's just he'll, he'll, he'll talk to the refs and decide when to throw challenge flags and timeouts. And go and, for it on fourth. Right, and they'll be making final decisions. But right. for the most part, Sanders hasn't even really hidden from that. He's Most of his coaching is happening Sunday through Friday. And that, that's fine. That, totally and fine. that, in fact, is more typical today. Uh, Sean Payton may cut against that grain a bit, but most coaches are of the CEO variety. Even on the collegiate and, and level. On, and on and the I collegiate say, level, I think what? it's even more important. Nick Saban's the a CEO coach. Sure he is. Sure he is. He doesn't call plays Mm-mm. on offense. He doesn't call signals on defense. No. He runs does the same thing. Does the same thing. Got a pretty good resume for it. No, I think Sanders is on track, and I think not hiding it is good, and I I, I think that's that's the trick, at least for Colorado. And, and um, you know, I, I'm a buff. Our producer, Danny Bailey's a, a buff as well, and um, that's the trick. Like, the the... Hope is is one thing, and there is hope for the program with Sanders there. But it's fun already, and it hasn't been fun in a really long time. And even this first year, if they're not winning a lot of games, if they end up winning six games, which, I mean, you know, when you're winning six times as many games as the previous year, if you could pull that off, that's pretty good. Um, but it, as long as they'll be fun, and Sanders handling things the way he handles them, assuming the team doesn't go completely in the tank and has a disastrous season – understands how to keep the attention on himself and keep it fun. So the buffs are going to be a story all year long, no matter what they do, because Sanders knows how to keep them there. And the part that I think is interesting, and I, I don't I don't know Deion Sanders, and there's some people that do know Deion Sanders and talk to them as well, this idea that, oh, it'll be two years and then he's moving on. Don't be so sure. Uh, I'm not sure of that. He is. Um, and a lot of people, you're right. A lot of people are forecasting that. Well, in two or three years, don't be so this sure. narcissist will move on. The, I'm not sure that I'd the buy people into know that. Dion that I've spoken to. And, and the funny thing is actually, if you go look through his career and you look at, he's he sort of lived up to it. He does really value loyalty. And he's repeatedly said how much he appreciates the Colorado understood they had a need and they came to him. He also knows that's the only D1 school that offered him a job. He's exactly right about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, when I say he's right about that, they were the only school that really the pursued Buffs him. The wanted him. seriously pursued him. And I'm shocked that there weren't SEC schools, particularly Auburn, that were all over him. But down at Auburn, um, my sense is that the boosters want to run the program. And, and in this maybe case, there's a racial uh, tinge in there, but I think for the most part, the problem at Auburn is that all of the people who support the program think they know more about running it than the people they hire to run it. And the people recently, at least, that they've hired to run it, even those who have had a degree of success always feel there's big brother looking over the shoulder and Deion Sanders is never going to go for that. And they had no interest in him whatsoever because I think they knew he's kind of a one man band. He's the show. What is, and they didn't want to be overshadowed. You want to go, you go through the team store, you know, walk through the Balch field house there and you know what it's covered in? Not even CU stuff, coach prime stuff. And when you were a Colorado where you were, you're, you're like, okay, 
okay, here's the keys. We, we, we've been driving this thing into a ditch over and over again. Here's the keys. Take a swing at it. Do what you need to do with it. And I think that that suits Sanders well. Uh, you've seen him already kind of settle in out there in a cowboy hat, uh, being on social media, how much he loves Boulder. I mean, the guy already runs Boulder. He's the king of Boulder already. It's not really a problem there. And, and Shadur's not right behind him. And Shadur's on yeah. social talking about, oh, you know, it's not that bad. I just throw on a hoodie sweatshirt instead of a T-shirt. It's all yeah. the same to me. Uh, the, they're going to change the perception of it. And this idea that it's, it's two years and he's out. Now, maybe Florida State might be the one that, that might be able to get him away, but Florida State could have well, offered him this they time. Been, they could have well, offered him they this been? time. And it may very well be if the Buffaloes become a top 25 program under Deion Sanders and he gets yeah. to run everything, why leave? You know, I, I remember uh, when he's Jim, not going to be an Jim NFL coach. It's not his thing. CSU. And he left for Florida. And I like Jim McElwain a lot when he was here. Um, you know, shows I. I, I did. We had him on all the time. I thought he was accessible. Uh, he's fun to talk to. And I I thought, you know, you, you go for the money, but he should have known that with all that money came pressure. And I just don't think the Florida job is necessarily that great a job. It isn't a bad job. It's a better job than CSU. But when you list the pros and cons, you've got to pay some attention to the cons. And, you know, Jim's gotten back on his feet. But that Florida experience, he was a coach of the year down there. And they couldn't wait to run him out. When times got tough, and of course he made some mistakes too. But the the grass is not always greener. And I think Dion, more than most coaches, understands that. Yes, and he will have a very long leash in Boulder. So exciting times up in Boulder for sure. Uh, you know, whether they're back on the field or not, but they're back with an energy that is a lot of fun, evident up there. 47,000 people on a snowy. I mean, pretty remarkable. So nice to see. Nice to have a, some college programs, both of them, by the way. We're putting about Colorado State as well. Kind of trending in the right direction again. So hopefully that ends up being the case for both programs. The Denver Broncos will be drafting this week. Probably on Friday, not on Thursday when it starts. But what does that mean? What can they do? Will they get more picks? Will they make some trades? We don't know. But we will talk about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos, in theory, will draft on Friday with the 66th and 67th picks in the NFL draft in the third round. So early in the third round, they will have back-to-back selections. That will be two of their five in total, Sandy. Unless, of course, they make some trades either up or back. And we heard Sean Payton last week talk about the poss- uh, basically how they work on going in either direction. Far more likely that they collect more picks and go back than move up. But as we get closer to the draft, it is interesting to hear more and more about the ideas 
of the Broncos potentially making trades, and we thought not too long ago they might trade one of the wide receivers. Now more and more, I mean, Sean Payton shut that down. I don't know how much they, we didn't buy the reasoning behind it. The reasoning is they didn't, they stopped shopping them because they clearly weren't going to get the compensation they wanted for well, either that's, that's right. Sutton or they, Jerry They were Judy. looking for a first-rounder for Judy and a second-rounder for Sutton, and, they weren't and, get and no one either. was going to give them either a first for Judy or a second So for they're Sutton. off the market, and presumably that really is the way it's going to go. Uh, Peter King today also reported yes. that the Broncos will not trade any of their wide receivers. Uh, obviously, you have to take any of that with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, John Lynch today for the 49ers was asked about Trey Lance, and, and he said, uh, you know, I believe Trey Lance will be a 49er. I believe. Yeah. In other words, um, he's the GM, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's part the GM. Of, uh, so, in other words, process, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> part of the group well, that will make that determination. If you have those little subtexts, you know, and you have the foreign language films and something and something's down there below, right? That would be the equivalent they, of someone make me an offer. They're trying to trade. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're trying to trade Trey Lance. And, uh, and, and you and know, Trey Lance is one of the curious cases because he's played so little football for various reasons over the last five years. But, you know, the Broncos are sitting there with five picks. I think they'll come out of they the draft with more trade than if five. If for some reason somebody, there's an injury, somebody panicked, somebody decided we can spare a second for Cortland Sutton, they'll deal him. Yes. And if they get a first for Judy, they'll, they'll deal they'll him. They'll probably deal him as well. But it's not likely to occur. Right. So knowing that you're going to jump into the third round, and we, we did hear a little bit uh, from Sean Payton on Friday. And if you missed any of the shows, by the way, you can always go to MyLifeSports.com and download any of the uh, of the programs and hear any of that. But I, I imagine they, it wouldn't even surprise me, Sandy, if they took one of the thirds and then traded down later in the round and picked up a late one, maybe maybe take the two, two thirds back to back and maybe make a, an early third, a later third, and then pick up a, uh, another pick. But I, the challenge here for the Broncos is you are probably not going to find yourself in a spot because it is the nature of, of the draft and where they are, where you're going to get a single, not only day one starter, which I'm pretty confident <laughs> in those injuries, but maybe not a starter at any point in the season out of this draft. How problematic is that? Uh, it is problematic. It's why they did what they did in free agency. And I know there are people out there who are doing mock drafts, um, some who know more than others, I suspect, who believe that maybe the Broncos could draft one, even two guys who could at least challenge for starting spots at some point. Uh, the mock from Matt Miller that I looked at over the weekend from ESPN uh, involved all 259 picks. <laughs> yeah, he does that every year. He's a, he's yeah. a maniac. He just yeah. goes all the way in there. So at 67, he had the Broncos making their first pick, Zach Harrison, defensive end of Ohio State. Sounds good. If you follow college football, you know Zach Harrison. You know he's a good player. And if you didn't have a first this year because you traded Bradley Chubb, maybe he's the new Bradley Chubb. Uh, But as capable as he might be, I don't think he starts right away. No. And uh, right in back of that, Miller projected the Broncos uh, to take – Chandler Zavala, the guard from North Carolina State, who's just a road grader. No complaint with that either. Yeah, right. And that's fine. Uh, Tank but but you know who your starters are. You know, uh, right running off. back out of Auburn. He's not going to start. 
Uh, Wanya Morris, the tackle from Oklahoma. I love that. I would, his hamstring I would love in the combine, that pick but, that but, but that, that's a nice pick. Oh, I love that pick that late. Uh, but he won't start. Uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton at wide receiver. No, no, he won't. He won't start. They, they, that's that. That's project territory. Uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton, same thing. Wide receiver, West Virginia, projected uh, by Miller to go at one ninety five. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem with any one of those five picks, but if any one of them started at any point this year, I'd be at least mildly surprised. Yeah. Uh, because that would you, mean that something has gone wrong. Yeah. Now, if if Wanye Morris, a tackle out of Oklahoma, were to start, something has gone terribly right. wrong. Because Lynchy is hurt, or Bulls and is. or Bulls. Yeah, and same thing with with uh, you know with Zavala. Same idea. You know, you, you signed Ben Powers. You're comfortable with Quinn Miners. What, what's interesting to me is that the one spot that really seems up for improvement is that center spot. With Lloyd Cushenberry, yeah, I I, I know both, maybe we, this isn't a great draft. We both really like Cushenberry. The problem is he's just simply not does not appear as physical enough to succeed at the NFL level. Smart, he's enough. got everything else. He's got Pass everything else. Well Technique is good. Yeah. Uh, knowledge is good. I mean, uh, every, he and Wilson get there. along. Wilson raves occasion. about him. Wilson loves, but uh, he's just not being able to hold up. Now maybe Peyton thinks there's something that can be coached in there that might solve it because he's certainly yeah. a coachable player. I I don't know. But well, he was a captain at LSU on a national championship. Yeah, team. with uh, with some pretty solid other players on that. Joe team. Burrow wasn't a captain. No, but Cushenberry was. The, but I mean, you know, in my mind, you simply can't draft enough tackles or guard. You can't draft too many no, linemen. And and not, they've drafted such a thing does not to exist. Me, far too few. Yo, yes, over the last decade, and and it's only been a couple for George Payton, but I think he's. Already, quite frankly, even though I actually like George Payton's drafts on the whole, given the fact that I think coming out of the contrast where John Elway was swinging for the fences with every pick, I think George Payton takes a more, can this guy make my roster and contribute in some level? I, I think that is probably a more productive approach when your team is poor, which the Broncos have been, than swinging for the fences with every pick. But I don't think they've done nearly enough work on the offensive line. Finally, now they have. They have and that would be fine for me. But it is interesting that when you look at all these mocks, uh, center doesn't seem to be focused there. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a, it's not the strongest draft for them. And maybe, maybe they believe, maybe uh, you know, that the, that the and I'm, I'm spacing his name, forgetting uh, the guy they, the guy they signed. I forgot who else they signed. All of a sudden I had it and then I lost it. Um, Monday, that's Mondays for you. But, you know, maybe they believe they have enough competition there already. But that's, it's uh, intriguing. I, I think they'll be fine. It's just more reasons to look at this for Broncos fans and understand that just like we talked about with the CU Buffaloes, the Broncos are not a significant player in the NFL playoff scene yet, and they will almost certainly not be this year as well. That does not mean they might not be trending in the right direction finally, but they are not right now. And the free agency money has been spent. The draft is coming up. You're going to find hopefully people that can uh, get in rotations and play a little bit here and there and be part of your team going forward, but there's not going to be immediate difference makers in that draft, and that limits what the Broncos do this year. Houston Texans will have 12 picks, including at 2, 12, 33, 65, 73, and 104 overall. The Raiders will have 12 picks, and you can make all the Josh McDaniels jokes you want to make. 12 picks, a lot of picks. It's hard to go too far wrong with 12 picks. New England has 11 picks. 
The Rams have 11 picks. San Francisco has 11 picks, but strangely enough, a lot of them are compensatory picks. They don't pick before 99. They're 98 draft picks before the San Francisco 49ers pick for the first time. And between 99 and 259, they've got 11 picks. Uh, Miami only has four picks, so there's actually a team out there with fewer picks than Denver has. Uh, Cleveland's first two picks are at 74 and 98. The Broncos at 67 and 68. So, uh, yeah, th- th- there are extremes uh, in both directions, but the questions are going to remain the same regardless of how many picks the Broncos have regardless of what they did in free agency. And the number one question is, can Sean Payton salvage whatever is left of Russell Wilson? The big news in the draft uh, may be already happening today. The Aaron Rodgers trade to the Jets, uh, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, uh, now done Rodgers and the 15th overall pick, along with a 2023 fifth-round pick. So it's Rodgers, the number 15, and pick 170 go to the Jets, the Packers will get pick 15, so that's a first-round pick swap, a second-round pick of number 42, a sixth-round pick of 207. So the basically, they swap first-round picks, yeah. and the Jets uh, get a fifth from the Pack. The Pack send, or, I'm sorry, the Jets send a second and a sixth, but that second becomes a first in 2024 if Rodgers plays 65% of the total plays. So that is essentially done. The Jets essentially, more or less, trade two second-round picks for for Rodgers and then move down two spots in the first. That seems like a reasonably good deal. The Jets have said all along, effectively, they will not trade a first for Aaron Rodgers. And they swapped. And they really didn't. They didn't. They moved down two places. That's all they did. And and So so they were true to their word, and their patience paid off. Yep. Good for Joe Douglas, the general manager of the Jets. And uh, I think most felt that if the trade was not made, by the time the second round began, there would be concern because the Jets have those two mm-hmm. seconds. Right. And, and one of these, of course, part of the bait, conveyed. and one of them is, is going. If, if, if the Jets get so their way, I, if they're lucky, it becomes a first. I think it's, you know, as bad as the Jets have been at the quarterback position historically since Namath. Uh, a roll of the dice is, is worthwhile. Uh, there'll be a lot of reaction to this trade. That becomes the football story of the yeah. week, obviously. And this Above note, by and the beyond way, anything that happens in the draft. Rodgers, of course, has won four MVPs. How about this for an interesting stat? Because for a long time, right, the idea is uh, quarterbacks never win Super Bowls to two different teams. Well, the last two quarterbacks to win three MVPs, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, who managed won a Super Bowl with their second team. And the AFC gets more stacked against the Denver Broncos as well. Something to keep. Well, sure. And that, 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 that has been a trend that's been ongoing. And, you know, the Broncos thought they were uh, dipping into that pool of NFL star quarterbacks when they brought Russell Wilson over. It didn't work out. At least it didn't last year. And uh, you continually look around and see how much stronger the AFC is getting in relation to the NFC. 
The Colorado Avalanche have game four of their series tonight in Seattle against the Kraken. They do lead two games to one after their win this weekend. Uh, what is the latest with uh, their situation? How will they get this game tonight? We'll talk about all that next on Miley Sports. Backed up against the wild confusion.